0: You're listening to a People of Note podcast, as heard on Classic 1027. Good evening, and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Cock, and this program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8 p.m., and in it I talk to someone who is a person of note, and we listen to music of their choice. My guest tonight comes from Cape Town, and in fact I'm speaking to him on an internet line. His name is John Woodland. He's a scientist and a musician. Actually, he calls himself a medicinal chemist. Good evening, John.
1: Hello, Richard, and thanks very much for this. I must be careful not to address you as as Rodney, because of course we have a people of note here in Cape Town on Fine Music Radio as well. So it's a great pleasure to be with you on Classic 1027. Yeah,
0: it's great to have you here. And and you're actually a broadcaster also, I think, aren't you, on Classic, F? uh, what is it called, Fine Music Radio in Cape Town?
1: Yes, Yes. exactly. I've been with FMR for about 10 years now or so, um, and it's a really special way to be able to share music with the broader community.
0: Yeah, and we feel like you're a sister station down in Cape Town, so it's wonderful to talk to you as one of their broadcasters. Just before we go too far, tell me what a medicinal chemist is.
1: Right, well, I suppose my day job, as you sort of mentioned, is as a scientist, as a medicinal chemist, although music is a very important passion for me as well. Uh, I'm a medicinal chemist, which means that I'm a chemist. I work with molecules. That's what excites me most of all about science, as opposed to, say, physics or biology. Chemistry is all about molecules and specifically using molecules for medicinal purposes, so as medicines. And in my case, it's for infectious disease. I'm particularly interested in malaria, also TB and HIV, hopefully starting on some COVID work soon as well. But that's what interests and excites me is manipulating matter and molecules for something useful. And in this case, making developing new medicines for people who really need it. As we know, the infectious diseases like malaria and TB are unfortunately, you know, there's a very large disease burden here in Africa. And so at UCT, where I work, at the Drug Discovery and Development Centre there, we're very passionate about developing medicines by Africans for Africans. So, yes, I spend a lot of my time in the lab doing organic chemistry, concocting experiments, and, of course, are computational aspects as well. We have a lot of meetings. We decide what molecules to design. We have collaborators all over the world. So it's, it's very exciting. I, I suppose you could think of it as maybe um, conducting an orchestra. <laughs> Uh, you would know about that where all the players are scientists and uh, all the different people who do whether it's chemistry, pharmacology, biology, computational chemistry. We've all got to bring them together to develop new medicine.
0: Is this the sort of process that would happen for example with finding a vaccine for COVID?
1: Exactly. It's a very similar process. It's slightly different because um, a vaccine uh, is trying to prevent uh, an infection by priming your immune system, by showing your immune system something similar to the pathogen. So when the virus or whatever it is comes along, your immune system has seen it already. What my field and sort of area of expertise is, is more in, in curative medicine. So once you have a disease like malaria, TB or HIV, uh, we don't yet have a cure for HIV, We have very important antiretroviral therapies, but for something like malaria, if you did get that tomorrow, there are cures that have been developed, but of course with resistance to uh, drugs, side effects, cost, we're always trying to develop better, safer, more efficacious drugs, so it's a bit of an arm race with the the parasite, and, and we're seeing it now with the COVID vaccine, there are all these new variants, And we hope that the vaccines that are being produced will last and will confer immunity, continue to provide immunity, even when new mutations of the virus arise. So it's a never ending sort of we're trying to work ourselves out of a job, I guess. But unfortunately, the the bugs and nature are very smart. They tend to develop very clever ways of getting around our vaccines and our medicines.
0: And I think that's a fascinating sort of thing is that we no sooner have we found a vaccine against something than than nature and and the and the uh, things that cause these diseases find some way around them I think that's extraordinary
1: it really is it's a very dynamic process it it really keeps us on our toes and reminds you that nature is always evolving always changing Uh, nothing is static in that way also perhaps a lot like music it's never fixed on the page it's always Happening in space and time, and will change from performance to performance, listening to listening.
0: And that's why live music is so wonderful.
1: Indeed. And And that's that's why we're we're missing missing it so terribly (laughs) at the moment. It's a very difficult time, exciting in a way for for scientists, because it's a a new challenge and there's been an incredible sense of sort of urgency and goodwill across the world, everyone uniting, coming together to to help defeat COVID and SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes the disease. But for musicians, it's much more difficult. They've got to find new ways of doing things, new ways of coming together, new ways of making music until it's safe to come together. We don't want to put one another or our audience at risk.
0: Now, we've got uh, a wonderful choice of music from you, and I think let's listen to your first choice, which is two Psalms. And the Psalms, I think for many people, are a sort of rock in times like this, and we're looking to Psalms 121 and 122. Let's listen to them, and then you can tell us why you chose them. Two Psalms, Psalms 121, I will lift up mine eyes, and Psalm one hundred and twenty-two to settings, by Herbert Howes, and they were sung by the Choir of King's College, Cambridge. The choice of John Woodland, who's my guest in People of Note tonight. Tell us why you chose those, John.
1: Well, Richard, I guess uh, psalm chants were a very early sort of influence on my musical career and development at Bishops, where you also went to school here in Cape Town. Uh, We have a wonderful Anglican church music tradition, and it was in high school under the leadership of Mark Mitchell and the Chapel Choir there that I really started getting interested in choral music and organ music, and I particularly enjoyed those two settings of the psalm chants by Howells, played on that organ in King's College, Cambridge, with the choir there. And, and so it sort of really takes me back to those early days in the Bishop's Chapel, singing and playing the organ there. Is
0: there music in your family? How, how did you come to be uh, involved in music, and obviously uh, an accomplished musician, apart from being a scientist?
1: Thank you, Richard. Uh, That's a good question. I'm never quite sure how to answer it because it's not immediately clear where the music influences in my family are. My aunt also trains choirs. She's in California. Uh, She's the only immediate sort of musical connection, but we don't have all that much contact. My parents, though, have always appreciated music, live music, always had classical music recordings uh, playing at home. And I started learning the piano um, as a youngster, I think six or seven years old and they always encouraged my musical development and interests. so I'm very grateful to them they provided the opportunities but I suppose my main musical influences really came from school from bishops friends colleagues there and also from the very vibrant music culture in Cape town and FMR as well.
0: Yeah and how long you said 10 years you've been working at FMR do you present a particular program there?
1: It's fairly um, flexible. I've had to sort of scale back on my FMR commitments, but I do try to do at least one or two Tuesday evenings a month. That's the chamber music program called Collage, but then, and occasionally sort of other ad hoc programs if presenters are needed. But what I've most enjoyed is presenting the live uh, symphony concerts from the City Hall, which FMR has been doing over the past few years with Cape Town Philharmonic Orchestra, Rodney Trudgen. Rodney's been an amazing mentor at FMR. Very grateful to him for that really sort of took me under his wing and we together have been presenting over the last few years um, the pre-concert talks and then normally the live broadcasts uh, when we still had that connection from uh, the City Hall to Artscape where FMR is. Uh, And that was really quite thrilling, (laughs) that really keeps you on your toes because you don't know what's going to happen, how long something's going to take. And so you need to be pretty spontaneous, but very exciting to be sharing live music as it's happening.
0: And one of the pieces you probably would have heard there is your next choice, the Piano Concerto Number no. 2 by Shostakovich. This is Leonard Bernstein performing with the New York Philharmonic. He's both soloist and conductor. That was Leonard Bernstein appearing as soloist and conductor with the New York Philharmonic, playing the first movement of the Piano Concerto Number no. 2 by Shostakovich. Do you have a preference for types of music? Uh, I mean, contemporary music. I notice on your your latest CD, which we'll come to in due course uh, of Barrels and Blossoms, there's quite a lot of contemporary music.
1: Yeah, Richard, there's just so much glorious music out there, and almost a problem is realizing one doesn't have time to listen to and explore it all. Obviously, classical music is my background, what I'm most familiar with, most interested in, and within classical music, I mean, we've just heard Shostakovich, but those 20th century Russian composers, well, I guess starting with Tchaikovsky, but then uh, Shostakovich, Prokofiev, uh, for example. I mean, orchestral music is is so exciting. Um, then there's uh, smaller chamber music, instrumental music. I'm an organist as well uh, and play the piano, so that music's always been important for me. Choral music, of course, is... Is so important as well, and then of course there's jazz and contemporary music and rock and um, all sorts of other traditions that also interest and excite me. But I suppose my two main interests probably are early music, not that I know too much about that, but very beguiled by the sound world of early music, especially early vocal music, and then contemporary music as well. And that's been a big focus of Vox the last few years, is combining both those uh, periods in music. One doesn't hear all that much in, in choral music, at least in Cape Town, uh, and contemporary composers then like um, Philip Glass, John Taverner, Eric Whitaker, we've sung a lot of their music, and it seems to resonate with both the singers and the and our audience.
0: It certainly does, and I see your next choice is by Eric Whitaker Lux Aurumque.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, hearing Eric Whitaker's music some years ago, um, opened up a whole new choral sound world to me, and I, I know he was flavor of the month for, for many years and maybe people have got a bit tired of him now, but it really drew a lot of people, especially a lot of young people, to choral and classical music, and I still get goosebumps when I listen to a lot of his very uh, sensitive and interesting settings. And so this is Luxa Runque, Light and Gold, yes, one of the first Eric Wittica pieces I heard that sort of started this great interest in music, and it's by, in choral music, by contemporary composers, and it's sung by Polyphony, a UK-based group, and Stephen Layton, their conductor, who's one of my great um, sort of role models in choral conducting.
0: That was Lux Aurumque, Light and Gold, by Eric Whittaker, performed by Polyphony, a British choir under the direction of Stephen Clayton. The, uh, sorry, Stephen Layton, the choice of John Woodland, who's my guest in People of Note. John, you also mentioned that, in passing, uh, that you were an organist. And I see uh, on your CV, I saw that you were the holder of the Claude Brown Scholarship. This was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting for me because I studied under Claude Brown when I was at school. He was the director of music there, and he was a really inspirational character also. And I've just recently written a series of articles on him. Um, And it's been really interesting to explore that history of mine, much as we're exploring the history of you now at the same school, but in a later generation.
1: Indeed, Richard. Gosh, I didn't realize you had that direct connection with Claude Brown, because, of course, he was a a large figure when I was at Bishop's. I think his ashes, in fact, are interred in the chapel alongside the organ. So he always felt very close by. And I'm aware of those articles you've Written recently and I must go and check those out but I mean we're very lucky Bishops has a fantastic choral music and organ tradition and, and wonderful instruments as well.
0: And your next choice is a piece of organ music in fact by Herbert Murrell. Um, do, you, do you still play the organ?
1: Not enough. Uh, the time I invariably play the organ is around um, Christmas time for, for nine lessons and carols and that sort of thing. Unfortunately, last year, for obvious reasons, that didn't really happen. So I'm feeling particularly sort of my fingers are itching. <laughs> but this particular piece we'll hear now, played by Andrew Lucas on the organ of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, another amazing instrument. It was one of the first discs I owned. It was actually loaned to me by Mark Mitchell, who is my teacher at Bishops. Um, who really sort of inspired this, this love for the king of instruments. And I discovered the score for this carillon by Herbert Murrell in the cupboard of organ music there in the chapel and sort of set about learning it. And it was such a sort of achievement to be able to play it in a way that's, at least to my ear, sounded a little bit similar to this recording.
0: <laughs> Here it comes, carillon by Herbert Murrell. That was... Carillon by Herbert Murrell, the British composer, played by Andrew Lucas, as my guest John Woodland told us on the organ of St. Paul's Cathedral. You're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Cock. This program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8. And my guest tonight is John Woodland, who's a medicinal chemist and musician, a scientist and musician from Cape Town, which is where I'm talking to him. John, you've just produced a CD also with your choir, which is called Vox. Just tell us how Vox came into being, because you've done some amazing work over the last uh, few years. And actually, I was thinking of that when we listened to Eric Whitaker's piece, because he's done some virtual music with huge choirs online as well. Just tell us about your choir.
1: Right. Well, Vox started in 2015 uh, as a sort of successor choir, I guess, to the St. George's Singers, which Barry Smith had led for many years here in Cape Town. Of course, Barry is another very important musical figure, mentor, a close friend in my life. And I was fortunate, after having spent a few years with the UCT choir, then joining the St. George's Singers, singing under Barry. It's always a bit of a regret I didn't have more time in the Singers under Barry's because I just learned so much uh, under his direction and mentorship, but but when it came to the end of the St. George's Singers and he thought it was time to wrap up, he suggested, well, you know, there's so many singers who are keen to carry on singing, why don't you start your own group? And I thought carefully about this, and it was tricky because the St. George's Singers was such an institution, we decided it was, and, and so closely associated with Barry, we thought it was better to Uh, let Barry sort of round that off and then take a few months break and then start a new distinct group with a a, a close but slightly different um, vision. And uh, that's how Vox was um, born. And I was fortunate to have um, many singers from the St. George's Singers then come and join that group as founder members, also former colleagues from the UCT choir who maybe now had outgrown the university. And so that's really how Vox came about. And our vision was... Um, focused on live performances, the recordings incidentally all sort of came later and in some respects if i 'm being very honest, I think they 're a little bit of a distraction from the live performances. but you know during lockdown we 've had to focus on 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 recordings, for example, but with vox we 'd always hope to do these immersive intimate multi sensory performances where for example we we really bring the the music's very close to the um, audience, unusual music maybe in unusual spaces, uh, paired with unusual things, whether it's wine or, or the lights being turned off or, or visual elements. So really just trying to sort of refresh and invigorate choral music, not wanting to tread on the toes of the many other excellent and, and very exciting choirs in Cape Town. So we had to sort of carve a niche for ourselves as well.
0: Which you've done, I think.
1: I hope so. Thank you. Uh, It's always a work in progress. Things are always evolving and developing. Uh, And I guess what's been important for us is the musical ecosystem we've developed. So it's not just about Vox, um, maybe taking the space of other choirs or things going on in Cape Town, but the amazing partnerships and collaborations we've had over the years with other composers, performers, other ensembles, music making is such a community uh, experience. Um, That's been very important for us to develop, work on, nurture, nourish those relationships with others, and and really the whole what I call the Vox ecosystem. That's been very important for us as well. Uh,
0: But also, and I think uh, particularly during lockdown, that's what uh, choristers have been missing, is the sort of week-by-week community get-together to rehearse and so on. And I think uh, for choirs that's been a, a big problem.
1: Absolutely, Richard. There's nothing that compares to coming together in person, nothing that compares to singing together in person. And when lockdown happened, we very soon realized we had a very important obligation to our singers, about 30 of them who'd signed up for the year, wanting to provide some sense of community and um, music making opportunities, also to our audience who've been so loyal and supportive and to the broader community. So we really thought carefully about ways in which we could come together in all sorts of different ways, broadcasts, online performances, the CD that we'll talk about, to come together to, to hopefully support, provide a bit of comfort for all those constituents, I suppose, but most importantly was the singers. And I was just amazed at their enthusiasm, their appetite for wanting to come together every week on Zoom, and to involve themselves, engage with these online projects we set out to do. So kudos to them, they're always very (laughs) enthusiastic, willing to experiment and and try new ways of doing things.
0: So maybe this is a good time to hear the choir. Uh, This is uh, Vox Cape Town, their conductor is John Woodland, who's my guest on People of Note. This is a piece called In Vino Veritas. That was In Vino Veritas by Paul Gibson, the Vox choir from Cape Town. Uh, conducted by my guest in People of Note, John Woodland. That was part of a programme to do with wine. It was paired with wine, I think, wasn't it?
1: Yes, exactly, Richard. So um, that that was, um, as you mentioned in Vino Veritas, uh, in Wine the Truth. And that was the opening item at our last wine and music pairing, which took place at Crude Constantia now about um, a year and a half ago. And that was one of the ways in which we tried to do things differently with choral music and Hruyt Constantia have been wonderful partners. They will present an evening of three or four, four, five or six or more wines. Um, we invited Rodney Trudgen along as our host to introduce um, both the uh, person who's presenting the wines and the music, and then we would present music that we thought complemented the wines. And for us, it was always very important to involve the singers in that process. So in the run-up to the <laughs> performance, we'd go to Crüt Constantia ourselves, do a tasting, and the singers would sort of vote almost, make comments as to what pieces of music in our repertoire they thought most suited the Uh, Sauvignon Blanc or the complex uh, Governor's Reserve blend or whatever the case is. So that was a very interactive um, form of music selection and then ultimately music making. Um, And that inspired then the CD which is a collection of not only that music from the wine and music pairings but also um, concerts we did at the UCT Urmester Museum about a year and a half ago um, in which I suppose in some ways we paired music with not only art but uh, a botanical theme as well, and it coincided with an exhibition there. We performed the Britain Fire Flower songs and a few other sort of botanically inspired pieces. But that was the point of the CD then, was to sort of uh, capture both of these performances, the music and wine pairing, the uh, botanically inspired music at the Ermistern Museum. And we recorded them in November 2019, and then we were able to work on the recordings during the lockdown, produce the CD during the lockdown with some generous sponsorship from the Mapula Trust and Bill van Rensburg. They've been great in supporting our activities. What we could do then was actually go and deliver these CDs, physical discs, to our singers, to our most loyal supporters, audience members, people who'd written to us. This was all part of our fifth birthday celebrations last year, but then to be able to give our audience, our singers, something tangible in this time uh, of stay-at-home to enjoy. And that was one of the ways in which we tried to connect then in, a, in a, this tangible way with our community.
0: But our listeners uh, can also hear this online, can't they?
1: Exactly, yes, Richard. So all of our music as Vox Cape Town is available online and on all the main streaming platforms, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify and our website voxcapetown.com is always first port of call for everything vox so if if anyone goes online searches for vox cape town and our recordings they will come up so yes i i encourage them to go and and explore our, our online offerings and of course that's in addition to the um, virtual choirs that we put together last year those are our main projects during lockdown um, which in which each choir member is safely at home, they record their individual line. I'm in a video uh, conducting them sort of virtually, and then they send those lines into us. We stitch them all together and form the choral tapestry in that way. So It's not quite a live performance, but it sounds pretty close.
0: But you've obviously got some uh, good tech people in your choir as well who can do this for you. (laughs)
1: Yes, it's very time consuming. uh, And yes, it costs a lot of time and sometimes a bit of money as well. And sometimes (laughs) one needs a a video as well. And I must just quickly single out my partner, Kyle Paulson, who's the other half of Vox. He was a medical student last year. He's now a medical doctor. He is now in George doing his internship. So that does put a little bit of uh, sort of challenge on what we can now do as Vox, but he would pour hours and hours and hours into aligning each of these tracks, perfectly, getting each of the consonants absolutely together. Um, so very grateful that he was altruistically, I suppose, willing to devote so much time to Vox. To
0: yeah, well, it's all, I must say, a bit of a riddle to me. And I see your next choice is the Riddle Song by John Rutter. Let's play it and then you can tell us about it. That was the Riddle Song from Fancies by John Rutter, performed by the Cambridge Singers and the City of London Sinfonia.
1: Yeah, John Rutter. I know a lot of people uh, aren't a great fan of his music or sort of look down on him, but he's been such an important influence in my musical life, not only his carols, carols for choirs, but also um, his orchestral music, his Requiem for example. I distinctly remember becoming obsessed with that work and again The Kings and Stephen Clebury recording for about a week in high school. Um, So yeah, really admire so closely sort of uh, associate with the English choral church organ music tradition and John Rutter in particular and and that piece we just listened to just always I don't know gives me goosebumps chills and it's his orchestration the way he writes for the choir and I've done it several times with my own singers so it's a very special piece of music for me.
0: Now John I think the first time I came across you was when you were running the a UCT choir, I seem to think, and you came along to sing in the last night of the proms. And I see that your next choice is in fact uh, from one of those performances.
1: Yes, Richard, exactly. This is a bit of a cheeky contribution now because another formative experience for me was being in the UCT choir in my first year at UCT under Margie Barlow. Your daughter, Alex Alexandra, was also very involved with the choir. and, and really inspired me to to carry on working with the UCT choirs. I did some years after that. But one of the highlights indeed was coming together with a whole lot of other Cape Town choirs for the proms in the City Hall, a big fundraising concert and and you were conducting. And this is a recording from the proms of By the Sleepy Lagoon, another piece which has some significance for me, by Eric Coates, and and it's a cheeky recording because there are these interjections from the choir during the work, but it was just such a wonderful sense of community coming together to make music for a good cause and yes I think that is probably the first time we connected.
0: It was. Here, By the Sleepy Lagoon, uh, Eric Coates is the composer. This is the Cape Town Proms Orchestra and various choirs interjecting sounds of seagulls and sea. That was By the Sleepy Lagoon by Eric Coates, the Cape Town Proms Orchestra, uh, that was a live recording from the City Hall in Cape Town, that beautiful City Hall, which has recently been done up, I think, hasn't it, uh, John?
1: Yes. Uh, incidentally, Richard, you did forget to mention the conductor in that recording. <laughs> you were conducting <laughs> in, that, in that work. And, and you're right, the um, the City Hall has recently been refurbished and is looking very smart uh, and Another great musical memory was performing there, uh, Mahler's Second Symphony, the Resurrection, with the Cape Town Philharmonic Orchestra. a Vox and a few choirs were involved with that at the official reopening, which, um, gosh, is about, uh, when was that, it, two and a half years ago now, How Time Flies. But That was very special to be part of that.
0: Yeah, and in fact, I was just listening, just before we recorded this program, to the final section of... Mm. Uh, The Resurrection Symphony with uh, Dudamel conducting it was pretty special.
1: Right.
0: Now, uh, somebody we don't hear often, certainly on Classic 1027, uh, is George Butterworth. Uh, Not a lot of pieces by him on our playlist, but I see you've chosen something by him, with a singer who's visited South Africa, also Bryn Terwold.
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, one of the reasons we don't hear Butterworth all that much, sadly, is because he died at the age of only about 31, I think, in the First World War. So he didn't have all that much time to write music. But what he did write is very moving. And this is um, from a Shropshire lad, Is My Team Ploughing, by Brintadvill, as you say. And what's remarkable in this recording, or this piece, it's a dialogue between a man and a ghost, a friend of his who's died, The way Tardeval, the singer, creates these two completely different characters through the colour of his voice as he's singing this dialogue.
0: Is my team ploughing? That was George Butterworth's song, Is my team ploughing? The singer was Bryn Terevel and Malcolm Martineau was accompanying him. The choice of John Woodland, who's my guest in People of Note. He's a medicinal chemist, scientist, and also a musician. He conducts the Vox Choir in Cape Town and he works at UCT. John, just briefly, um, how has UCT been coping over the last 10 months or so, last year, let's say?
1: It's been tricky, Uh, certainly for the students. I think it's been very difficult because they were all sent home for the hard lockdown, and most have remained at home, and they've had to resort to distance learning. For us, as as staff and researchers, it's been a little bit easier. Of course, we were also off campus for some months, but then in about July, um, my unit we were invited back to the Drug Discovery and Development Centre. At least those who are working in the labs and the synthetic chemistry labs, so we could get on with our making molecules. And um, so, while it's been difficult for the university community at large, and it's been very sad because, of course, we've lost some students, some some staff members. Um, for us, it's, it's been a reasonably productive period. Uh, we've been able to carry on with our work and uh, we rely a lot on um, a lot of uh, in-house assays and experiments as well as uh, international colleagues and contributors. So everyone has sort of pulled together to make the most of this time. In fact, as it happens, um, we have quite a busy lab. And so we are working shifts at the moment. I work a morning shift. I go into campus for four or five hours in the morning, come home for lunch, do my afternoon work um, at the computer, emails, meetings, reports, all of these things. And actually, that's worked out quite well for us. Um, We've quite enjoyed then having the focused time in the lab in the morning. And of course, I have other colleagues who go into the lab then in the afternoon when we're not there. But it's been good to have that focus time in the morning in the lab, come home and then have all the distractions of the meetings and the computer work. So we've still been able to do our work. I work on a malaria drug discovery project um, together with the Medicines for Malaria venture. Uh, they're based in Geneva in Switzerland, and we have uh, other con- collaborators at the University of Pretoria and Witz University and, and others around the continent and the world. So, um, in fact, I mean, we have a meeting where everyone will come together, 30 or 40 people from across the world. Uh, or to present our latest results and discuss our strategy going forward. So it's been a productive time, and I don't think anyone is is feeling too sort of demotivated. If anything, I guess this focus we've seen now on infectious diseases, on COVID, has sort of galvanized us and, and uh, encouraged us to sort of work even harder at what we do.
0: And made you more important than ever, I think. Just briefly, uh, you work with malaria, are we winning the battle against malaria?
1: That's a complex question, Richard. You know, there's so many different ways of tackling malaria. Uh, there are the preventative measures, things like insecticide-treated nets that are distributed around the continent. You know, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa is a particularly um, bad malaria area. Uh, the stats are, are really terrible and, and many um, You know, it's hundreds of thousands of Africans who die every year, succumb to malaria, especially children under the age of five. So the more we can do with um, spraying in an environmentally sort of cautious manner, providing insecticide treated nets, then there is a vaccine that is moderately efficacious that we're hoping is going to make some kind of impact. And then there's the prophylactic medicines and then the medicines on which I work, the, the sort of cures, if you are unlucky enough to get malaria, but it's always a challenge, of course, on this continent, getting the medicines to where they're needed, uh, identifying the malaria cases, administering the medicines. It's a very, very big deal. I I do think we're winning the battle, not as fast as we would like, and, and the United Nations and World Health Organization have really done some amazing work to galvanize the global community to really sort of deal with this problem once and for all. But it's happening slowly, and unfortunately, with something like COVID, it's going to make it a little bit worse before it gets better. The focus has obviously shifted temporarily from malaria now to this other vicious infectious disease. And there's going to be, I think, then a, a sort of resurgence in malaria over the next couple of years. Supply chains have been broken, that sort of thing over the past few months. But we'll get there eventually. We're we're fairly confident. But yeah, it's big buy-in from the whole world. It's a public health issue as well. It's not just about the science. It's also about education, getting resources to where they're needed. We'll get there eventually, but it's a challenge.
0: <laughs> and it is still, I think, the biggest killer, is it, in Africa?
1: I I'm not show exactly what the statistics are it is a very big killer yeah, indeed yeah, yeah. hiv fortunately is is a less big killer now that we have antiretroviral therapy and and um, important government plans to get that you know those antiretrovirals to those who need it a tb unfortunately is also an enormous problem still on the continent especially in this province and then the dual burden of people who have both HIV and TB present unique problems. So, unfortunately, it's a sort of storm of all of these things. And then various um, other issues related to um, diarrhea and GIT infections, uh, water cleanliness, those sorts of things around the continent uh, and other more insidious diseases and non-communicable diseases like um, obesity and diabetes are also a problem. So. Yes, malaria is certainly up there at the top of the list, but there are other very important and damaging diseases as well. So it really needs a many-pronged approach from many different angles. And unfortunately, as you sort of deal with one problem, often another will rear its head.
0: And with COVID, certainly oxygen has been important. And I see your next choice is a piece called Oxygen. Just let's hear it and then you can tell us about it. That was oxygen from uh, a, a, sec- a collection of pieces called InScape by uh, Isochronus. Just tell us about that.
1: Right, so a- a- as you mentioned, Richard, oxygen was chosen because of its uh, importance at the current time, but also as a chemist, um, oxygen is something with which I also work frequently and sort of has extra meaning. And this is by a band called Isochronous. They're actually a Pretoria-based band. There was a time about 10 years ago. I got really excited in, in the South African contemporary um, and alternative rock music scene. And the vocalist we heard was a singer called Richard Brokenshaw. I've always admired his voice and his way of doing things and his creativity. And I remember one of my first projects with Vox was to get Richard on board and I was so thrilled. He's now based in Cape Town incidentally. Funnily enough, he actually teaches voice uh, or guitar or both of them at Bishops at the moment um, and he agreed to be part of our team and that's one of the things I try to do with Vox is blurring the boundaries between the classical and the contemporary and so we did this great Eric Whittaker piece which had a techno backing from his um, techno opera Paradise Lost and it was the final piece from that opera called Fly to Paradise, and it was, I forget goosebumps, thinking about it, we were in the Bishop's Chapel and we just had a very sort of traditionally classical concert, so building up to this, and we had uh, the techno sounds reverberating around this very sacred space with this phenomenal voice of Richard with the choir backing, so that was a very special moment, and yeah, again, just admire these performers who are willing, willing to cross over and um, and embrace unusual genres and ways of doing things.
0: I see your next choice is um, a piece which was used, I think, at uh, Princess Diana's funeral, if I'm not mistaken, Song for Athene.
1: Exactly, Richard. That's one of the um, performances that brought John Taverner to fame and to the public eye, I suppose, was the performance that you mentioned. And this is an exquisite piece. It's a setting of various words. He was very influenced by the Greek Orthodox Church, but also words by Hamlet, which is my most favorite play. I have great admiration for the works of Shakespeare and and English literature in general. Um, So it starts off, may flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. But this was one of the first pieces that Vox performed when we sort of made our debut in about 2016, I think, and I remember singing with Stephen Coletti at Bishops many years before, for Remembrance Day, Taverner's Funeral Icos, another sort of minimalist piece that made quite a big influence. And so we presented as Vox this concert, what we call the Tale of Two Taverners, brought the music of the contemporary John Taverner, but there was also a 16th century English composer called John Taverner, albeit with a slightly different spelling of his surname. And so we brought these contemporary and early music styles together and It was great how not only the singers but our musical community, our audience, really supported these projects and they also seemed to enjoy the music of John Tavener, a holy minimalist as he's called.
0: So here it is, Song for Athene by John Tavener. That was Song for Athene by John Tavener, the choir of the Temple Church and the Holst Singers conducted by Stephen Layton. I can see Stephen Layton is uh, an important person in your life. I think he's a fantastic uh, choral conductor, and Polyphony seems to be a great choir too.
1: Indeed, hope to be able to hear them in person one day. Uh, meeting or at least listening to Stephen Layton in the flesh is is on my bucket list.
0: Yeah. Do you get to travel much? Uh,
1: well, not over the last year, but <laughs> no, no. before that, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, I mean. Uh, it's, it's tricky, you know. On the other hand, we're so lucky in Cape Town. I apologize uh, for some of your listeners for saying this, but we're very lucky to, to have it all here. I am such a fan of the outdoors, particularly being on the mountain, on Table Mountain, our Table Mountain National Park trail running and hiking. That's very important for me. Uh, the beach sadly not open at the moment. The Winelands, um, we're very lucky. Um, and then, of course, the musical tradition, uh, the academic work, the science that keeps me intellectually um, stimulated, that's all here. So one actually needs to look quite hard almost for a reason to leave. Of course, I'm fortunate to travel now and again for work, for conferences, for presentations. That's important, as we've learned over the last few months. There's nothing like coming together in person, engaging with someone face to face. But on the other hand, I've lived my 32 years or so here in Cape Town, spent you know, no more than a few weeks at a time overseas. I realized I, it would probably be good for my development and uh, all of that to go spend some time overseas. But on the other hand, I'm very lucky that everything is here, friends and family as well. So don't, yeah, don't, I sort of, don't feel very hard done by that, I can't yeah. travel at the moment. But of course, experiencing all this music overseas is something particularly special.
0: Well, it's wonderful to hear someone who's obviously happily doing what they're doing in Cape Town. And I. you don't have to apologize to our listeners. I think we all, well, I can't say speak for everyone, but I certainly really enjoy coming to Cape Town when I can. And I spent my formative years there and it was a very special place from that point of view. Going on now, uh, your next choice is Radiohead.
1: Yes, I'm not sure whether you will have played Radiohead on on Classic 102.7 before. Although I must recommend by Christopher O'Reilly. He's done. He's a Canadian pianist. Done some amazing transcriptions of Radiohead's work for solo piano. Um, but they're an alternative uh, rock band uh, based in England. They've been around, gosh, probably about 40 years now. And their lead singer, Tom York, has an amazing voice. And I've always been impressed by the way he uses his voice almost as an instrument and you'll hear in the next song the lyrics are never very clear he almost doesn't want the lyrics to distract from the music Radiohead are big about what they or what I call soundscapes almost like a landscape but of sound and that's something we've also tried to do with Voxes to create sort of an atmosphere uh, with the sound that draws the listener in. And they do this so effectively. So they've been an enormous musical influence. And speaking of traveling, because I don't think they'll visit South Africa any time soon, but seeing them live is also very high on my bucket list. But they were a big influence. And this track in particular um, really kept me going while I was writing up my thesis some years ago. I just sort of have it on loop almost for hours on end, creating the soundscape. I'd be trying to sort of force myself to to write these words and get words on the page so so Radiohead and I go back a long way.
0: That was Codex from The King of Limbs featuring Radiohead the choice of John Woodland who's my guest in People of Note. John uh, when you are well I suppose like you most people you most people in music that is your relaxation so You've mentioned that you go running on the mountain or go to the beach. You obviously don't have much spare time in your life.
1: (laughs) Never enough hours, Richard. (laughs) As I think I mentioned earlier, one needs to be quite careful almost about one, what one listens to or, or reads because you realize there isn't enough time to do it all and so maybe it's important to be picky but on the other hand you don't always know what you're going to like or enjoy or what's going to speak to you before you experience it so it is sometimes important to then go out of your comfort zone when it comes to uh, reading or listening so those are obviously passions of mine and of course interacting with people family friends colleagues But never enough time and um, yeah, gosh, there's still so much I'd like to to explore and it's important to have the discipline to carve that time out for yourself, otherwise the time just runs away. Music, like science, it's an endless pursuit and you could spend 18 hours a day on it. In fact, I probably should be.
0: (laughs) And obviously reading is part of your discipline as well and the, the Lord of the Rings has been part of that, has it? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, it has. Uh, obviously, that's connected to the next piece of music. So, so I don't read all that much fiction at the moment, but yes, maybe for many kids of my generation, The Lord of the Rings sort of came out, and those big films by Peter Jackson two thousand and one, two, three at at a time, just as we were starting to read those kinds of books, and CGI was just um, sort of developing. And, and then, of course, there was this wonderful musical score by Howard Shaw as well. But recently, I I guess I've turned more to uh, non-fiction, in fact, reading a lot of musical non-fiction at the moment, a fantastic survey of 20th century music by Alex Ross, again, another sort of Hamlet-related quote, the rest is noise. And at the moment reading a Benjamin Britten biography uh, that Barry Smith um, very kindly gave me a couple of weeks ago and, and I have this great interest in his music and Rodney Trudgeon and I are busy listening to his operas at the moment to Peter Grimes, The Turn of the Screw and Billy Budd is next on the playlist. So yeah, it's a very, very rich life. But The Lord of the Rings uh, was not important Again, influence, and also Howard Shaw, the score he wrote, the way he's used, a bit like Wagner did in his operas, motifs to represent characters, items, locations. In fact, there's a whole book that I have on my shelf, The Music of the Lord of the Rings, written about the way Shaw devised his music over these three films, how themes developed over the course of the movies. So this is a track from the very first film, The Ring Goes South.
0: The Ring Goes South, that was music from the Lord of the Rings by Howard Shaw, played by the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Now there is in the Western Cape, uh, also at Stellenbosch University, great rival of course, of UCT, but I guess uh, all universities work together on the sort of work that you do for developing uh, drugs to treat malaria and HIV and TB and things like that. Um, there is a, a pair of wonderful pianists, uh, Nina Schumann and Louis Magaliesh, who appear often on, on classic 1027 playlist, and I probably on FMR in Cape Town as well. And I see you, you've got something by two pianists for your next choice.
1: Yes, exactly. And um... I would love to hear Luish and Nina play this next work sometime. It's been very good to get to know them and and Peter Martens, but better. I was involved with the Stellenbosch International Chamber Music Festival about a year and a half ago, uh, writing a blog and also presenting their live streams of, of the concerts. And, you know, chamber music is something that we perhaps don't get enough of in Cape Town. And so that festival, that 10 days of just sort of pure uninterrupted teaching and performance was amazing to be part of. But this is, I guess, not re- really a chamber work, it's it's a bit more intimate than that, but it's a piece that Ravel wrote, well, a sweeter music, the mother, goose suite that he would, well, I think it was him who later orchestrated it, but this is the original uh, recording by um, for piano by the Lebec sisters that I find particularly moving. And apparently in the ballet that's set to this music, it's the moment at which Um, The Prince Wakes Sleeping Beauty, and it was also used in a film, a very moving film a few years ago, called Call Me By Your Name.
0: The Fairy Garden from the Mother Goose Suite by Ravel, played by Katia and Marielle Labeck. That was The Fairy Garden from the Mother Goose Suite by that most urbane and classy of composers, Maurice Ravel, played by two pianists, Katia and Marielle Labeck the choice of John Woodland, who's my guest in People of Note. And sadly, John, we're coming towards the end of the program now, and it's been wonderful to spend this couple of hours with you discovering about your work at UCT to do with malaria and TB and HIV AIDS, and also about your work with Vox. And I just want to remind people, or you can remind them, where they can go on the Internet to find uh, recordings of Vox. Just tell us those websites.
1: Right, well, I think the first port of call for everything Vox is our website, that's voxcapetown.com, and that has a complete list of all our performances and some photos and other bits and pieces, but then also links to our recordings, um, which are also available on all uh, streaming platforms, music stores, as well as YouTube. So if you just search for Vox Cape Town, all the bits and pieces, Come up, not only our live recordings and studio recordings we've done, but also the ways in which we attempted to bring comfort and community to people last year uh, during the lockdown, these so called virtual performances and online projects, and some radio broadcasts that we've produced as well. But, Richard, thank you so much for this chat. I know when you come to Cape Town, you always have a hectically busy schedule, so I think this is the, the most time we've ever spent together talking. That's it very is indeed. <laughs> It is,
0: and I just, uh, for our listeners' sake, I see Matabatabu who helps me put these programs together. He's chuckling away here too, because he knows that when I go away, it's usually a very packed schedule. But I have to say, John, that over the last 10 months, it's been a wonderful sort of forced holiday for me uh, here in Joba, because I haven't been away very much at all. Uh, In fact, only once I drove down to Cape Town because I didn't much fancy flying in an airplane with 300 people. So uh, I drove down very quietly and calmly, and it was really lovely. It's been an amazing 10 months, and I've discovered a lot of music. And like you, I've been listening to operas by Benjamin Britten because I fancy him as a composer and also as, as an interesting person. And there are lots of good books about him. So it's been a great time of exploration and discovery for me, too. Now I'm
1: so glad to hear that, uh, just because it's very easy to, um, I guess, feel, and it is a very difficult time for everybody. But you're right, uh, depending on one's attitude, you can find the bright side to it and, and make the most of it. So I'm very glad to hear that it's also been... So recharging in, in some respects for you as well. Yeah,
0: and one of the things I've done, uh, and and I will talk to you about this again, is to go through my whole library. And funny enough, one of the features of my library is uh, a huge collection of choral music which combines early with contemporary which suits your choir very well. So we must talk about Excellent. this because I've got a vast collection of choral music which covers both those areas. So we will talk about this in due course. But I look forward to that. Tell us about your final choice, which is Moon River by Jacob Collier.
1: Oh, man, this is just such a... It's a euphoric piece. It's a dazzling celebration of the human voice. So I... I'm very interested in the music of Jacob Collier. I think he's only 26 years old. He's based um, in the UK, and he won the Grammy Award for Best Instrumental Arrangement for this piece, this arrangement of Moon River. We're going to hear shortly, but um, it's it's just marvelous. The harmonies the exuberance of the sound, I find it very inspiring. He's a multi-instrumentalist. I maybe would describe him as the Mozart of our times. And in fact, he was meant to visit uh, Cape Town last year for the Cape Town International Jazz Festival that sadly was postponed because of COVID. So hoping I'll have another opportunity to to see him in real life.
0: So here it is, Moon River by Jacob Collier. That was Moon River by Jacob Collier. Collier. And that's the final choice of John Woodland, who's been my guest in People of Note. John, I just want to say thank you very much to you for taking time out from your busy schedule to come on the program. And we're all, not we're all, I can't say, I can't speak for all our listeners, but I'm jealous of your time in Cape Town because I always look forward to coming down there. And when I next come down, we must certainly get together. But thank you for for doing this program and good luck for all the work you're doing both at UCT in your uh, um, investigations into drugs to help people cope with malaria and TB and HIV and AIDS. And of course, with your wonderful choir, Vox. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Richard, all the best.
0: Great pleasure. And to all our listeners at home, thanks for listening tonight. And I'll be back during the week with full works. That's every weekday evening from seven to 10, except on a Friday when it's six to nine. But to all of you, We hope you have a great evening and a great week ahead.